What I love most about Mi Gente is our community and how important it is to take care of our own. Hey, it's Honey and Carolina. On our podcast, Life in Spanglish, we talk about how important being there for your loved ones is. Pero también sobre lo importante que es tener a alguien dispuesto a apoyarte cuando lo necesites, como lo hace State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com. Life is full of surprises. Some good, some not so much. Hola, it's Honey. Hola, it's Carolina. Y sabes que estar preparado para cualquier cosa es importante. Whether that's in our roles as mothers, wives, businesswomen, or podcasters. On our show Life in Spanglish, you know that being open to unexpected turns has been an important part of our success. Pero we can use some help. Oh yes, la buena ayuda is welcome. Y si pasa algo, tranquilitos. Isn't it good knowing that with a State Farm agent you can worry less because someone will be personally invested in safeguarding your goals? Plus, they have the options to talk to a real person whenever a customer needs, especially when those unexpected turns come up. It's the personalized attention you can count on. Aprende más en es.statefarm.com Como un buen vecino, State Farm está ahí. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Custard TV podcast. It's me here again, Matt. Joining me this week on the podcast, back once again, we've got Dawn Glenn in the uh, the Scotland area. How are you, Dawn? I'm great, thank you very much. Avoiding COVID. <laughs> good, good, good. What does your t-shirt say today, Dawn? My t-shirt says, I will only watch one episode, which uh, <laughs> even when preparing for the podcast, I fail to do. <laughs> <laughs> All the way down the other end of the country, making her return to the podcast, Sophie Davis is here. How are you, Sophie? Hello, I'm good, thanks. Um, I also watched multiple episodes of one particular show this week. Spoilers, because I ended up enjoying it so much. <laughs> well, that'll keep people hooked for the rest of the podcast. And we've brought Sophie on, obviously, today as the comedy expert. So we've got quite a lot of comedies to get through. I don't know if you saw, Sophie, the BAFTA nominations recently for, for the, the comedies. Did you see those at all? Oh, yes, that feels like ages ago now but yeah I did see them at the time um <laughs> the main nominees for scripted comedy Anne was not normal motherland mm. satellites flats and we are lady parts I mean do you think that's sort of a fair representation of like last year's comedies is there anything missing there yeah I think that's pretty fair I think that's a good category I think if I remember rightly the um female performance category is very strong and mm. I don't know how they're going to choose like Sophie Will and like yeah. Natasha Dimitriou, mm. like so many amazing people. I yeah. think for me, I would have Stathlet's Flats as the winner, but they did win last year, so maybe not. Mm. I it could go I... to We Are Lady Parts because it's so original. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that category you mentioned has also got Ashling B, Rose mm-hmm. Matafeo, Angela Vassan from We Are Lady Parts, and Amy Lou Wood, who won it last year for Sex Education. So possibly Rose Matafeo would be my choice. Mm-hmm. Not sure. Not sure about you, Dom. What do you th- yeah, think about I th- those? I think uh, it's between Rosemary Bale and uh, Ashling B for me. Yeah, it's that is the hardest category. I said on Twitter, I would really be happy with any of the winners because mm. you know they're all stand out in what they did. And I agree. I think Stas will win, but I would I would prefer Lady um, Parts to win second. Yeah. And interestingly as well, in the writing category, uh, Sophie, they've got the the outlaws in there, which I remember me and you reviewed last time you were on the podcast. 
Seems like a bit of an odd choice to put in the comedy category, but I suppose it straddles, doesn't it? Yeah, it's kind of hard to pinpoint because it's like BBC, but it's also, isn't it on Prime as well? Like, it's uh, hard to think of, like, what category to put it in, really. Mm. Yeah. Did you uh, stick with that in the end? I did. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think it got better as it went along. Like, to start with, the characters felt a bit one-dimensional, but Mm. then as we got to know them a bit more, it was like very entertaining I thought and yeah I'm looking forward to series two which I've heard that Julia Davis is in so I'm on board with that (laughs) Sophie runs the Julia Davis podcast ah okay (laughs) that well that makes sense (laughs) and did you watch the Outlaws Dawn I did yeah I really enjoyed it I think like a lot of people you tune in just to go Christopher Walken what (laughs) but then (laughs) you know it really worked it was and and especially the last episode I thought was really, really good and very moving, actually. He's just sort of living his best life, isn't he, Christopher Walker? Going from the outlaws to severance. <laughs> this could be a podcast. Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one. This is the Custard TV podcast. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From thecustardtv.com. This week we have got... Julia, which is uh, Sarah Lancashire playing Julia Child. That is on HBO Max in the States, and it will be on Sky Atlantic, the first two episodes in a double bill on Tuesday. We have got the return of Derry Girls for third and final series. Hull Razors, which will be on directly after Derry Girls. Uh, That's a new comedy from Lucy Beaumont. Single Drunk Female, um, a new show from the US, which is all on Disney Plus now. And we have also got a new reality show. I don't <laughs> quite know how to describe. Uh, Freeze the Fear with Wim Hof. We'll get there. Um, but first, let's just have a quick chat about all our sort of separate endeavours. Um, Sophie, do you want to just mention your podcast, how far we are along with S Club and everything like that? Yeah, so I have two podcasts. The first one is Smash Prawns in a Milky Baskets, which is the Julia Davis podcast. Um, I also have a podcast called It's an S-Pod Thing, where I'm re-watching every episode of S-Club 7's TV show with a different guest each time. Currently, towards the end of Series 3, which is the Hollywood 7 series, so I've got one more series and a film to go. Um, So I'm nearly there, (laughs) but I'm going to have a break before I move on to that final series. Are you going to sort of be bereft once it finishes? what do I do now? Where do I go now? Well, there is also an S Club Juniors TV show, which I've I've never seen. I think I was a bit old when that came out, but it's written by the same people. So I'm going to give that a go and see if it's as weird as the S Club 7 show. And so there may be a a spin-off series for that potentially afterwards, but cross that bridge when I come to it. Uh, And the, the Julia Davis, what are the recent episodes on that? Um, I kind of put that one on hold during the pandemic, really. So it's been a while. I've got through most of her shows, though, now. The only one, really, that I haven't done yet is Camping, which is possibly actually my favourite. I haven't deliberately left it till last. But, uh, Mm. yeah, if people want to go and check that out, there's episodes about Nighty Night, Hunderby, Human Remains, Sally Forever, and also some interviews with people who've worked with her, like Rufus Jones and Felicity Montague, if people want to go back and listen to those. It was also in one of the shows we're talking about this week as well. Yeah, that was a surprise. <laughs> uh, and Dawn, yeah, your podcast, The Shipyard. 
Yeah, we are uh, focusing on uh, all things chippy relationships, especially will you want these, low burn. Uh, we're currently doing A to Z. We most recently posted Call the Midwife, where we reviewed the final episode of season 11. And uh, we're recording, thanks to Matt's suggestion, we're recording Ed for E and D will be the Durrells. Mm. We, so we started it all with Moonlighting as our basis for everything because of the, you know, the Moonlighting curse. What happens when you get two characters together? Does the show completely fail? So that's kind of the driving force we're talking about a lot of the time. And what about the news this week about Bruce Willis, Stone? Yes. Obviously, I got to know him from Moonlighting, but I have followed his career. He obviously, up and down in his choices. <laughs> that. Be polite. But um, he has done some brilliant, brilliant stuff. The Fifth Element is my mum, who is 80. It's her favourite film, The Fifth Element. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just I feel for him. As I, I, I said on Twitter, aphasia is something I suffer very slightly from uh, due to an illness I have. So I understand the frustration when you can't get your words out and can't communicate for an actor. Obviously, that just must be soul destroying. So, poor soul. Uh, just thinking about what you said about your mum and the fifth element. It's like my mum and Twister. She loves that film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some mums <laughs> are not into Gone with the Wind. And, you know, my mum famously got given the English piece one year by one of my brothers. And she was like, I really hated it. I just hated them. They're all horrible people. She was like, I'd rather watch Star Trek, thank you. She wanted, she wanted him to die. Yes. Like, yeah, I don't want him to get better. Yes. <laughs> we are on all your sort of podcast apps of choice, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or you can find us on thecustardtv.com, uh, where you also find, just fitting into what we said earlier, Luke has done a what he would pick for the winners of some of the BAFTA categories. Um, he's also written an article alongside one of our other writers, Eamon, uh, about the original UK office. Uh, Eamon, who's been busy, has also written about The Dropout. I don't know if either of you watched that, The Dropout. Amanda no, Seed. it's on my yeah. list. <laughs> and um, a new writer, Prince, has also written about uh, Panchico, which is a drama myself and Mo and Nick talked about a couple of weeks ago. And also on the podcast, uh, on the podcast of the website, which we'll get to in a minute, uh, Dawn has written a very good long article <laughs> about her love of Derry Girls and reviewing the episode, which we'll get to in a moment. But we'll start uh, with Julia. This is a new, I would say, comedy drama. It stars Sarah Lancashire as uh, Julia Child, who's much more known, I would say, in the States than she is over here. This is set in 1962. It's a year after uh, Julia's book, Mastering the Art of French Cookery, has been published. Her and her husband, Paul, were in France with Paul's job. They've now moved back to Boston. Julia is asked to come on a literary review programme to talk about her book. Um, instead of doing like a normal discussion, she uh, cooks an omelette. And this sort of prompts a lot of people to write into the station to say how much they enjoyed that segment and a young editor by the name of Alice contacts Julia and says you know I think we should maybe make a show about you do a cooking show this is sort of shot down by a lot of the uh, the male producers who are against either the idea of a cooking show or Julia fronting the, the show Ultimately, Julia, at the end of the first episode, says, look, we'll do a pilot, I'll pay for everything, and we'll see how it goes from there. 
So I will go to uh, Sophie first. What what did you make of this? Yeah, I really loved this. I, I ended up watching four episodes in one evening because I just <laughs> found it so sort of charming and easy to watch. The performances are really great. Sarah Lancashire is brilliant in it, as you'd expect, really. Um, I love David Hyde Pierce as well because I'm a massive Frasier fan, so it was lovely to see him. Even though it's a sort of show where the stakes are very low, you just feel really involved in it. And Julia Child is just such a kind of unique, eccentric, interesting woman. Like, as you said, in the first episode, she goes on this like quite highbrow talk show and ends up making an omelette live on air. And yeah, there's that kind of running thread well throughout all the episodes I've seen really that she's constantly being sort of underestimated by these men who are seeing like well first of all seeing cooking as a very silly frivolous thing and also not really thinking much of her because she's kind of quite unusual and she's not conventionally attractive and there's this attitude of like oh well who's going to want to watch her and the answer is like well women will because they love her yeah I just I really enjoyed this Charming was that (laughs) word I wrote down I just absolutely loved it again yeah like Sophie I just kept watching it I could just didn't want to stop absolutely loved it I think it's so good because there is so much of a focus on a woman of a certain age as they as they refer to in those days but not just her you know we, we see um the producer Alice who's black as well as being a woman in the tv industry and how much she gets ignored and treated like a dog's body you know just go and do this doing that when obviously she's worth more my favorite thing about it was the relationship between julia and her husband paul played by david hyde pierce i just thought it was so believable and refreshing and just lovely you know a happy marriage in in biographies so often it's pretty grim it's about somebody who has a tortured life or is a really evil diva or whatever you know and, and julie is just delightful and mm. her love with her husband is just lovely the two of them together it's just oh it's just lovely that's another <laughs> just what you see oh it's so lovely <laughs> did either of you see the film where meryl street played her no it's one of the films i'd meant to because it's amy adams isn't it mm. that plays julie powell the writer who yeah plays... julie and julia is called yeah 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 no i've never seen it if you're anything like me you're booked and busy from family duties and work responsibilities to catching up on your favorite shows and podcasts. Yes, like Wrestling with Freddie, with me, Freddie Prince Jr. With all the responsibilities we have, it's always nice to have someone in your corner. That's why State Farm is there for you with your auto and home insurance needs, helping you protect the things you love and helping you save money. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. State Farm. Proud sponsor of the Michael Tura Podcast Network. Sophie, have no, you seen I that? haven't seen it either, but um, I'm, I'm aware of the film, and that's the only reason I really have heard of Julia Child before. Um, like as you said, I think she's a lot more known in America. Yeah, like I, I recommended this show to my parents the other day, and they had no idea who she was, and they're they're the sort of people who usually know everyone. So I was quite surprised. Yeah, she's sort of never really translated, and I think that's the thing. You know, I think American audiences maybe would have a different view of this because they'd be comparing the performance to what they remember. I believe it's still showing in repeats on on a channel in, in the States, her cooking show. Oddly, there seems to be a lot because there's a documentary coming out about, about her 
And I read that there's like a competition show in the States as well based around her cooking. So it seems to be there's a lot of Julia Child things coming all at once. I mean, I agree with both of you, really. It is a charming show. I thought Sarah Lancashire's performance, It's you struggle to see her in it, don't you? Occasionally... The accent I found slipped a little bit from time to time, <laughs> yeah, only slightly, because I think it's quite a hard accent to do. It's sort of like New England, isn't it? Which is sort of like a bit British, but a bit American. And every so often, I think when she went heightened, you heard that northernness come in a little bit. But I think it's a great sort of debut for Sarah Lancashire as this first international show, if you like, um, playing almost like an American icon in a way. I thought the period detail was was fantastic. The creator of this is Daniel Goldfarb, who worked on uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and you can see the 60s details. I I loved her sort of home decor with all these pans on the wall, the way they sort of focus in on the food that she's cooking as well. As you say, it's just good to see someone who's sort of in love with what they're doing. I read one of the reviews which described it as competent... competent, I can't even say the word. (laughs) Competent... I can't say it competency there we go porn (laughs) someone who's good at their job or just wallowing in the fact that this is someone likes what they're doing and is good at it I thought as well as you know the humor in it like you know you you mentioned the scene with the the omelette there's sort of like an underlying sadness to these characters to an extent there's Julia sort of regretting the fact that she's never had a child you know she's going through the menopause Paul has been given his retirement he worked for the foreign office I think Mm -hmm. yeah to counterbalance this sort of very heightened character there is these real life issues bubbling under the surface that occasionally rise up I mean I've only seen the first episode but Paul not wanting her to to go on the TV he's very reluctant they don't own a TV so there's almost that snobbery isn't there about the TV generally as you said there's this sort of misogyny aimed at her both the way she looks and the fact that she's cooking. The host on the show that she goes on almost uses the phrase cookbook as almost like an insult, the way he says it every time it goes on. I mean, I just, I I was really gripped by this, but in a good way. And it's sort of almost like feel good TV, isn't it? But something that does have that sort of edge to it as well. Yeah, one of the things I thought was really good was, and I'm not somebody who notices direction very much. I'm just not. And, but I thought the direction in this was so good. As you said, all the, the close-ups of the, the food. And also there was one scene where she goes into a department store to buy a TV for the first time ever. And we just get this close-up of the window display, which is a TV with two TV tables, you know, the classic 60s folding tray that they put in front of the TV. And I thought that was such a clever shot just to show how TV and food, the relationship between them, and how it was a hugely changing point in America that people were now eating in front of the TV. There were little touches like that, which I thought just elevated it. And I just want to say, hurrah, that they employed Sarah Langshire and didn't put a fat suit on a slimmer actress, because that would just have made me switch right off. So, hooray! <laughs> it's a bit odd to have, as you said, both David Harpierce and B.B. Newrith in this as well as, <laughs> as the sister having sort of half the Frasier cast in it. Um, I'm not complaining. No. <laughs> and Isabella Rossellini as well yeah. in an almost I, unrecognisable. I thought that was great. That, you know, we, we saw a close-up of Isabella Rossellini and I thought that was something that shows, you know, how they were not afraid to show women looking their age because these are women who are supposed to be in their 
fifties and sixties, and they showed them. You know, it wasn't Hollywoodized in that sense. You know, they didn't shy away from the fact these are older women, and I, I thought that was fantastic. So, yeah, anyone, anything else to say? Anyone on this? Okay, just it's lovely. <laughs> Okay, so that is Julia is on um, Sky Atlantic and Now TV. As I say, I believe the first two episodes will be available now when you listen to this podcast. But I I think Sky Atlantic are running like weird things where they're doing double bills here and there. I think check the schedules, I would say, on on Julia. I'm going to just uh, hand over to Dawn here for a moment, because obviously, as we mentioned, you um, had written a very great article i I read it last night on on dairy girls you said in there that it sort of reminds you a little bit of your youth it's sort of your era you know a little bit so (laughs) do you want to just talk about how you discovered the show and just sort of set up the first episode for us yeah no problem i think it's this season is set in 1996 i'm probably a, a few years older than the dairy girls but not much but it totally is my youth and obviously i'm not irish i i didn't grow up in the troubles but you know, Scottish and Irish cult, there's a lot of crossover there. So 2018, I think it started. And I'm always drawn to things with teenage girls. It's just something I'll, I'll always be interested in. So when I saw this, you know, the group of teenage girls set in the 90s, comedy just looked fantastic. And it absolutely is everything you wanted it to be and more. With the background of the troubles, obviously anyone roughly our age remembers how much it was part of everyday life. And I think that's one of the best things in Dairy Girls is it shows you this group of teenage girls who just live an ordinary life, surrounded by all this violence and threat of violence, the soldiers on the street, places they can't go, things they can't say. But they uh, attend a Catholic high school with the fantastic Siobhan McSweeney as uh, Sister Michael, who's the headmistress. And they get into all the usual scrapes, but especially <laughs> heightened versions, obviously. And season three coming back, there's no sort of long stories with this. It's a typical sitcom in the sense of it's a, a situation every week and, and it's usually resolved by the end. You don't need to have watched any, any episode before season three, but I do recommend you do. At the end of summer, they're going back to school. They're about to get their uh, GCSE results. They're on a trip to the video shop, a typical 90s thing to do on a Friday night. They bump into Sister Michael, who lets slip that the school already has the uh, results. So they decide, as you do, to break into the school so they can know ahead of time what their results are going to be. When they get there, it's very easy to break in and they're helping two men and turns out it's not <laughs> such an easy break and they weren't the ones to break in and they end up being arrested and. Uh, Yes, <laughs> it goes from there. Sophie, what what's your relationship with the show? And then I'll just mention mine. I mean, did you start watching straight away in 2018? or? Yeah, I've been watching it from the beginning and, yeah, just loving it from the beginning. I remember it was such an unknown quantity. And then when that first episode came out, it got such a huge reaction. I think Channel 4, like, announced immediately that they were commissioning a second series because the reaction had been so strong to just that first episode in Northern Ireland and also like in the rest of the UK like everyone was just loving it and yeah I can't believe it's been like three years since the last series came out but you know finally it's back and yeah it's 
everything we've come to expect from Dairy Girls, really, you know, the same high standard of comedy, the same kind of like crazy antics that they're getting up to. Um, yeah, just really love this episode. It was really good to have them back. You're right, Sophie. It was a massive phenomenon in that early 2018 when it came out. But I don't think I was as taken with it as as everyone else was. But I went back to the second series because I, I knew that the, the third series was coming. But yeah, the second series I, I thought was fantastic. I think the younger performers were a lot more confident and that chemistry was stronger. I think what I found in the first series, what I liked was the adult characters. And um, I don't know, Dawn, if one of the things you sort of that carries over is like that that family aspect. Is that yeah. is that one of the yeah. things that I think that's the heart of it really is the, the focus on Erin's family, the put upon dad and the, the the harassed mother and it's not entirely sure if the auntie lived with them. I've never been clear on that, but the kind of ditzy aunt and of course the uh, Joel, the father in law who's just <laughs> makes uh, his son-in-law's life an absolute misery. I just, I, I love that. And funnily enough, I know an Irish Joe who's a, who's a patriarch of an Irish family. So. <laughs> this episode, we have a subplot where he's got this stray cat, Seamus, who just is basically killing all the animals <laughs> and they have to go and bury a rabbit together. And he's just insisting that Seamus is innocent, like he won't hit a word against him. I love the granddad, he's so good. We can talk about this because this will be going out uh, just after the episode airs, but I know Dawn alluded it to it in her, um, in t- her review, but we have Liam Neeson in this <laughs> episode, which was a complete shock when he... I didn't read the thing where it says, please do not reveal who plays this, so I wasn't expecting a cameo to come in, but... I, I don't know if either of you remember a few years ago when he popped up in Rev. No. <laughs> you watched Rev. <laughs> he basically played Jesus, came to Tom Hollander's case. It was like this version of Jesus, but it was Liam Neeson in a shell suit. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it's good to see him sort of in a bit of a different light, and he seemed to be really good at playing along with the with the story and the, the showdown between him and, is it Colm? at the end oh yes yeah. that's when Liam Neeson said you know we have to contact a parent the, the gang all start saying amongst themselves you know right okay we'll discuss whose parent is the most is going to help us the most oh you can't have mine it's a nightmare and then they, they say oh what if we wear him down first and I knew instantly who they were referring to and I was I was guffawing at that because Calm is such a fantastic character I thought what a brilliant inventive way to get them out of this is to bore the police to death. <laughs> I thought that was a brilliant choice. Also, did you notice that really casual reveal that Sister Michael's first name is George? <laughs> I didn't no, notice that. I didn't notice it. I think, I think it's Liam Neeson who says it. They say something about, oh, Sister George Michael, and then I think all that is like, George? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't miss that. I, I think for me, the only criticism is that it, the episodes are so short. I think you just want to spend longer time with these characters because, you know, you've got these defined sort of traits, but they play them so well that they don't seem like caricatures. And I think, you know, you had the poignancy of the, of the last episode of Series 2, which you mentioned as well in your review, Dawn, about where, you know, they're all there queuing up to see Bill Clinton and then they turn their backs on it to welcome James back. And and I think you had that here that they were sort of, you saw they, they were making this documentary to sort of like almost be like this Oscar winning film. But then it was just like, no, we're just doing this as a bit of a lark. You know, we don't really know what's going on to an extent, you know. 
they've got this backdrop of gloom, but they're still sort of like living their lives, which I think is is the sort of the good counterbalance there. It works so well because it is true that teenagers are oblivious, generally speaking, to anything but their own problems. And yeah, you know, a bomb going off is terrible, but oh no, I've got spots and I'm supposed to go on a date to a teenager is like the worst thing ever. And I think it depicts that obliviousness really, really well. I think that's the, in a way, the charm of teenagers is that We started our company, Girls Who Do Interiors, before we even graduated design school. And we turned to Chase for Business to build along with us. They had everything from banking to payment acceptance to credit cards all in one place. And with the Chase mobile app, our business is wherever we are. It's made for business owners who build to inspire. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Real customers compensated. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank and a member of FDIC. Deck your home with Blinds.com DIY or let us install Free design consultation Plus free samples and free shipping Blinds.com invented a better way to buy custom high-quality window treatments with no showroom mock-ups or waiting around for quotes from pushy salespeople, saving you time and money for the holidays with upfront pricing right on our website. Go right now to Blinds.com. Satisfaction guaranteed. Satisfaction guaranteed. Shop Blinds.com's Green Monday sale. Get up to 45% off plus doorbuster deals. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. All they are interested in is what's going on in their little world. And it's done really well. You're listening to the Custard TV Podcast. The official podcast of thecustardtv.com. And following on from Derry Girls, we've got a new sitcom called Hole Raisers. Now, this is a adaptation of an Israeli sitcom uh, called Little Mom. It's about three women in their 30s, I believe. We've got Leah Brotherhood as Tony, Sinead Matthews as Paula, and Taj Atawal as Rana. Tony and Paula are sisters and Rana is their best friend. Uh, this episode is about Tony's jealousy, about Rana still going out and nights out and being hung over the next day. Um, Tony's got a young child, so she's trying to sort of be a family woman, but she sort of spots an opportunity to live vicariously through Rana and says, if you have to leave, she goes on a date with what she believes is a whole city player and says, if you need to leave early, I can come and, and rescue you. Uh, which she needs to do earlier than than she does because Rana remembers it's actually the mascot rather than one of the players. We've also got Paula, who's got a uh, a teenage daughter and who's got a boyfriend, and her and her husband are having different views about how to deal with this. So it's basically like a bit of a, a snapshot on their lives, really. I'll, I'll start with um, Sophie on this. What did you think to Hull Raisers? It's written by this team of three women. There's Lucy Beaumont, who's a stand-up comedian from Hull, Anne-Marie O'Connor, who created Trolleyed, and Kaz Moran, who wrote Raised by Wolves with Catelyn Moran. And I, I think for me, Hull Raisers does seem kind of similar to Raised by Wolves in like the dialogue and the fact that it's about these working class women in like an area of the country that we don't really see on TV that much. 
Um, obviously, Raised by Wolves was Wolverhampton, and then this one is in Hull. It seems like quite a good successor to Raised by Wolves for me. I was very disappointed when that was cancelled after two series. I'm happy for this to kind of carry on the mantle because, yeah, I found it very funny. I liked the three characters. I liked the plot in this first episode. I think they wrapped up everything very nicely at the end where they're sort of dancing to Mr. Brightside at this wake because they're so desperate for a night out. They just want to, like, turn anything into a night out. And I thought there was some good sort of standout lines that I've written down. Like, there's a bit where I think Tony is, like, she's trying to, like, do contouring to go out and her husband tells her that she looks like Pinocchio. And little moments like that I enjoyed. So I think I'm going to carry on watching this. I watched the first five minutes. I thought, oh, I'm going to hate this. But I didn't. I really liked it. It was, I think it was just a bit chaotic in the, the, you know, setting up who everybody was. And in fact, I didn't even grasp that they were sisters. I, I agree with Sophie. I think that the um, the dialogue was, was very good. And it was, again, I think in a way for me, like Julia and uh, Dairy Girls, you basically catered to me this week because I, I, I found it very <laughs> relatable. I, I found Hall Razor relatable a lot of shows like motherland or whatever when there's a group of friends they're often all in the same position but i like that they weren't you know paula has a a teenager and and tony has a young child and ran a single and i think that a believable friend set you know and and to see the different issues they are facing in their lives and but and i have to say i i did sort of find it amusing but the last line of the episode which i won't say on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I had to be absolutely in fits with laughter. It was hilarious. Yeah, I mean, I do like Lucy Beaumont stand-up and anything I've seen her in, so um, it's not surprising. Her writing is, is very sharp on this. I read an interview with Lucy Beaumont where she was talking about like inspiration for the characters, and she said Rana is inspired by a police officer she saw on 24 hours in police custody who was like being really kind of like hard but she had these like false eyelashes and like a smoky eye going on and that was the inspiration apparently for that character. Having read around this it was Lucy Beaumont I believe wrote the pilot on her own and then when it Mm -hmm. got to series they brought in uh, the other two writers and that's why it was it started as can you adapt this series for British audiences? And and Lucy Beaumont wrote about where she knows, and that's why it ended up in Hull. What I found is I really liked the the chemistry between the three actresses. You can believe those relationships, as as you said, Dawn. You know about not realizing that they were sisters. And um, I was the same. And I actually I don't I don't know if they explained as well that Rana's brother is Paula's husband. Oh, oh, I didn't realise no. that. Oh, I didn't realise that. <laughs> I, I don't I know if that's something the they explain thing, later. Because at the beginning, one of them says, says hey, sis. <laughs> and she calls her auntie something as well, doesn't she, I think, in, in later on. But no, they. I don't think they sort of explain that very well. I, I liked the interplay when it's just them sort of talking and, and you feel like Tony's pain as someone has now left that life behind but is living vicariously through sort of their single friend. Whereas I like the comedy, I thought some of the situations were quite contrived, like the, you know, turning up at a wake or like the swearing child. There was a few sort of tropes that I thought it fell into, but the chemistry, I think, kept me going through throughout it. 
One of the other things that I read when I was reading the the interviews, both with uh, Lucy Beaumont and Leah Brotherhood, who was also from Hull, um, is that both of them wanted to sort of show, you know, a, a different side of Hull rather than this is the worst place to live. It was always at the bottom of the least desirable cities and, and, and things like that. Do, do you think they managed to do that? Because for me, I, I felt that they were almost playing to stereotypes. You know, there was jokes about meat pies and Aunt Bessie's Yorkshire puddings, like the boyfriend, his dad had shares in Aunt Bessie's Yorkshire puddings or something like that. I mean, do you feel like Hull was well represented in this? No, I agree with you. It did seem the workingest class of working class. I think there's nothing wrong in that, obviously, but I don't think it sells it as a, a great place because obviously their behaviours are quite scummy in bits. But I suppose you have Tony's mother-in-law, you know, and she obviously is a bit more posh, and, and I think that maybe that's what they're trying to show. I don't, I don't know, but I don't think it really sold Hull particularly brilliantly. Same. I guess it's not presenting it as kind of like a grim place where everyone's mm. miserable, though. Like, I guess it's kind of positive mm. in that people are just living their lives, like having a good time. Maybe we'll see more positive sides to Hull as it goes on. As well, you know, you've got to sort of in the first episode establish where everyone is and just give you sort of general sense of the characters and of their relationships. And I felt as a as a first episode, it did a good job. And I think it may be something that will get people watching it purely because it's on after Derry Girls. I believe it's all available on all four after the first episode goes out. So um, if, if people would like to binge it, it will be there uh, straight afterwards. I think it's a grower. Yeah. Probably will get better with more episodes. If someone says, oh, well, this is brilliant, I think I'll, I'll go back to, you know, if people sort of sing its praises, I think it might be something that I'd be tempted to go back to. But yeah, so that is Hull Raisers, as we said, that and Dairy Girls both on Tuesday nights. Uh, we'll move over now to Disney Plus. We've got Single Drunk Female. Now, this was in the States, was on a channel called Freeform and has come now over here on Disney Plus. Uh, tells the story of Samantha Fink. Uh, she's fired after discovered to be drinking at work and then attacks her boss. So she's forced into community service. She then has to move back home to Boston, return to her childhood home alongside her disapproving mother, played by Ali Sheedy. Um, she's sort of surrounded by memories of the past. This leads to her having a massive relapse, lands her into more trouble, gets an even longer criminal sentence, has to en- ends up working in a supermarket. But this is almost about sort of the struggles of getting sober. We have a calculator showing how many days Samantha's been um, sober. And it's about going back to your hometown. It's about struggling with those anxieties where drink is is currently all around you. There's different sort of relationships that she has to deal with. Dawn, what what were your sort of thoughts on on single drunk female? I like it with Hull Razors. I I definitely think it's a a grower. I actually watched, I think I watched five episodes of (laughs) it. And not because I loved it so much. I guess I was more intrigued. I really liked the central character. I think, really, Ali Sheedy is the, the standout part of it. She's fantastic as her mother. So good at showing, you know, she's not a terrible person, but she's not a very good mother. Uh, Samantha is to deal with her ex-boyfriend who is marrying her ex-best friend and that relationship. Her friend that basically was just her drinking friend. And they have to completely re- assess how 
can they be friends? Are they friends without drink? And um, I thought it was it was really good and a very uh, very strong cast. I didn't recognise anyone beyond Ali Sheedy. Really, really good, in, including um, the actor who plays James, who's the sort of potential love interest. But interestingly, she's already slept with him, but she didn't remember it at all because um, uh, she was drunk. <laughs> I was and thinking, you can't do it again for a year. Is it a year and I a day or something? Yeah, <laughs> you won't have sex there again for a year and a day. It's like one of those Hallmark films, but with alcoholism, <laughs> because she has the big city girl who goes back to her hometown a small hometown and discovers the truth of life and her happiness and her, you know, reconnects with her, her old friends and deals with her parents and falls in love. Not, I don't know if she falls in love, but she has this potential love interest. I thought, um, so, yeah, Sophia, who plays Samantha, I thought she's really engaging, a very beautiful woman. Yeah, I thought, I thought it's, it's one of those shows where I thought, sort of agree with that really and I was reading a little bit around the, the backstory of this the creator is a lady called Simone Finch so very similar name to her lead character and, and it is based on her own experiences the scene in the first episode we, where we've got um, Samantha dancing on the bar is, is based on something where she was I think she said it was to the Shakira song is it whenever wherever um she was dancing that <laughs> on her own singing that so she's put her own experiences into this and um, saying that she was an alcoholic between the ages of 15 and 28. I agree with you really I, I think that um the central performance from Sophia Black de Elia not an actress I know but you know she played the humour but I think that sort of that pathos I think you felt her desperation that every time she got knocked down like Ali Sheedy is almost like the anti-sitcom mum isn't she she's the one who very much instead of going to her for the advice is like well, what do you want me to do about it you're an adult get on with it sort of thing because of it's sort of themes of addiction you're looking at things like feel good it reminds me of and I liked it I didn't love it I think that's sort of where you are Dawn what about you Sophie? I really liked this I knew absolutely nothing about it going in and Similar to what you said, Dawn, I literally recognise none of the actors in this, which was a surprise to me, literally none of them. The tone reminded me a little bit of like Shrill or the other two where the comedy is very sort of tightly written and all of the characters are quite funny, like even characters who show up for like one scene with a few lines have some sort of quirk about them, like there's the probation officer who's always on the phone to her sister whose rich elderly husband has just died like that sort of quirky character and then there's a scene where she goes to see her sponsor and her sponsor's partner is there and she's got like a feminist athleisure clothing brand and there's like a massive (laughs) amazing cat which I want called Josh actually yeah two of the shows this week that we've covered have got cats and then we've got Seamus and then we've got Josh in this one um and like her mum being part of a spiritual book club made me laugh just those kind of little details that are thrown Mm. in where I I'm definitely going to carry on watching this I think if I hadn't watched four episodes of Julia I probably would have carried on with this one this week and like you said the main character is very compelling I like how she's kind of she's trying but she's not that kind of introspective you know she's quite sort of 
relatable and you get the sense that she does want to be better but she's finding it hard and there's that guy at AA who immediately recognizes her when she walks in because they once hooked up and she has no memory of it interested to see where things go there yeah I I I do agree with you about those supporting characters I mean the probation officer for me very much reminded me of the probation officer from back to life yeah the fact that she sort of had very little interest in her and had her own things going on and another show shining a light on addiction but doing it in a in an interesting way and and that performance by Ali Sheedy I really wasn't expecting but yeah it's it's certainly worth a watch and I think it's something that people might not know is actually there um on Disney plus because it'd be hidden away somewhere so it's definitely one to to check out they're only about half an hour each of the episodes I believe there's 10 in total single drunk female there on Disney plus now and finally, a show I want to apologise to both of you for forcing you to watch. Um, how would you describe Freeze the Fear? Because I really don't know what sort of genre it fits into, even. Because yeah, online it says reality, but it seems kind of like it's not its not trashy enough to be a reality show. It seems almost like it's trying to be a bit educational because it all revolves around this Wim Hof guy almost like a sort of advert for him where they're all constantly being like oh my god Wim I've just met you and you've changed my life it's a very weird tone did you either of you heard of Wim Hof before because they, they're presenting no. him as this like massive <laughs> megastar like this I, I don't I thought he might be someone who'd sort of done like YouTube videos in lockdown or something but the first time I'd heard of him is when the press release came out for this and it's like legendary Iceman Wim Hof, Dawn, you're nodding, so you had heard of him before. Yeah, I think um, Chris Evans, the PG, uh, not actor, uh, is a big proponent of Wim Hof, and I'm sure he's had him on his show a few times talking about his cold water therapy, I suppose he calls it. And I follow quite a lot of uh, celebrities who are really into cold water swimming, and, and so I, I had heard about him, and I didn't know his full story, which is revealed mm. in this. Yeah, I agree with Sophie. I have no idea what this show wants to be at all. No. Is, is it about cold water therapy and learning about that? Is it like SES Who Dares Win? Is it a reality show where they all celebrities live in a tent? I don't so, know. So it's hosted by the odd combination of Holly Willoughby and Lee Mack. Um, <laughs> we've got eight celebrities here who are going to the Italian mountains. They live in this sort of like weird... It almost looks like a layer from a James Bond film that's sort of just nestled under the mountains. And they do these challenges with women every week where they're sort of forced to submerge themselves into cold water or other sort of sub-zero conditions. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, is it like a learning experience? I mean, this first episode basically was them getting there, plunging into icy water and then abseiling. And that was about it. I mean, we've got Patrice Ava, who's the footballer, Alfie Bow, Gabby Logan, Owen Wynn Evans, the, the weatherman, Tamsin Alfwake, Professor Green, uh, Diane Boswell from Strictly, and Chelsea Grimes, who I'd never heard of before and, and had to Google. Uh, mm-hmm. Just generally, guys, what, what, did, what did you think of this? Because I just, you know, I didn't understand really why there was presenters. It's not something where there's people being eliminated. They're not doing this for charity. I, I I really just, it just boggled my mind what this was. Yeah, as you said, it, it feels like they don't really achieve that much. And I think that's one of the issues with it. We're just 
we're watching every single person do the same task so it kind of gets a bit samey and they're all really enthusiastic as well like they all really want to do it I feel like they almost need a sort of Gemma Collins figure in there who needs a bit more like mentoring like encouragement to do it because yeah all the celebrities are like oh god this is going to be really hard and then they do it and they're like wow I feel amazing thank you Wim and we're just watching the same thing over and over again and there's just these two tasks in the one episode yeah just a bit dull really I didn't hate it Mm. like it just it it felt like a long hour what did you think of of Lee Mack in this because he almost seemed to be a little bit out of place they obviously maybe saw the initial format and thought oh we need to have a host Mm. and then oh we need to have someone who's sort of constantly there cracking jokes yeah I don't think they really needed two hosts Mm. um Unless that maybe they're trying to make it like an I'm a celebrity sort of thing, mm. like get a bit of a double act going. But yeah, because there's whim as well. So it feels like a lot of people. I was surprised that I actually knew most of the celebrities in this. Usually with this sort of thing, I feel like I don't know anyone. Uh, maybe because it's like the BBC, it's like guests who are a bit more high standard than like mm. an ITV reality show. But yeah, it felt like a lot of people and if someone's watching this and they don't know many of the celebrities, I don't really know what they're gonna get out of it. And also the fact that there's whim and two hosts, it just feels like there's a lot going on, but it's a bit samey at the same time. I think it's certainly almost like a higher class of celebrities than you normally get on mm-hmm. one of these shows as you said Sophie like you know the likes of like Alfie Bow and Tamsin Althway and Gabby Logan those aren't people that you would sort of expect to see on on other realities it almost feels like people who think I'm a celebrity is a bit above them and and don't you know they sort of want to do some challenges but want to have a nice place to go to sleep at the end of the night sort yeah of thing. glamping tents that yeah. they've got there and all, all of them at the beginning, you know, when when you meet them for the first time, it's like, I want to do something out of my comfort zone. I want to push myself. I want to be like a stronger person. I mean, Gabby Logan's there saying, you know, I'm turning 50 next year. I want to, it almost feels like they're on a stag do or something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where you would go like to Italy and do these challenges and, and then stay at this nice like chalet at night. I feel like, you know, Professor Green did um, a documentary about depression for the BBC, I think BBC Three or BBC Two, I can't remember. Mm. And I thought, you know, if it was Professor Green just with Wim Hof and exploring Wim Hof's philosophy and his story, and that would have been absolutely sufficient. It didn't need all this stuff. And to have Wim Hof talking about his wife's suicide, mm. well, Lee Mack is there dressed like a Yeti. <laughs> I thought he was dressed like he was in the Stay Another Day video myself. <laughs> It looks like Doodle from the Magic Roundabout, yes. (laughs) I just thought it was so weird, and I I agree with Sophie. The whole thing where they would go, and now we're going to pick uh, Tamsin's next. There was so much of that. And I will say, if you're a fan of slow motion, this is the show. (laughs) (laughs) And tense music. Slow motion tense orchestral music. When I'd seen the trailer, I thought we would see a lot of Wim Hof coaching them and doing lots of mind work. But no, just in the first episode, they did what I thought would be sort of the peak, which was the jumping into a frozen lake, a, a small square. There was, it was just him saying, yeah, mind over matter. Yes, mm. you're stronger. Yeah, in the abseiling challenge, he's not even there, is no. he? 
We need more <laughs> Wim Hof after he does this grand entrance where he like comes in and does the splits on the ice. <laughs> I wanted more of him. But he's only like he only does the cold things. He doesn't do the the jumpy <laughs> things. You know the the high things. But it's very much I'm not going to force you into this. You know you have to make your own decision, but you're going to do it anyway, sort of thing. You know it's not. Uh, you know you mentioned who dares wins. That's very much the other way. That's all people shouting at you. This is more sort of self-help isn't it in a way but Dawn it was you said that it felt very out of place didn't it at the end when he's talking about his wife's suicide and it just yeah it's very much a BBC light entertainment show and and we've had Holly Willoughby doing her very sort of Holly Willoughby hosting we've had Lee Mack cracking all these jokes and then out of nowhere he's sort of there telling these celebrities that I completely changed my life after my wife committed suicide and I was reading in the in the press pack, he was left as a single father of four. So, yeah, that just seems like we're weirdly out of place. And I, I don't really know. I mean, this is 9pm on Tuesday nights. So I don't know who really is going to watch this past maybe the the sort of the opening curiosity. When they all got to their, their, their camp, and they're all sleeping in one big tent. And then we were getting all this sort of stuff between each other, like it was Big Brother or something. You know, they're kind yeah. of... I didn't get it at all. The thing that boggles the mind is that there is a BBC Three companion show to this. (laughs) (laughs) When they said that at the end, I thought, what? Oh, dear. (laughs) I mean, at the the end of the episode, Lee Mack says there's much more to look forward to. And I'm like, he he didn't even really seem to believe that, what he was saying. Like... but yeah, just just bizarre. And and this coupled with the the Gordon Ramsay thing that we talked about last week, which is also on nine o'clock. It, it's very much it seems like BBC are now we're sort of heading towards spring summer where we're not having as many dramas on as we did in the winter. We think people will be more out on on the nights, so we're just going to put on these sort of flimsy light entertainment shows that you might watch. They took bits of paper with various aspects mm. of shows and then just. Mix them all up and grabbed out three. We'll say, okay, we'll make a show with these three aspects. Yeah, and well, like last, I don't know if either of you saw uh, the Gordon Ramsay thing. Hashtag FFS, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's sort of like, well, we'll do The Apprentice, but Gordon Ramsay wants to be Bear Grylls, and we'll put a bit of like Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares in there as well. So it's all these like things. And as you say, this one we've got a bit of SAS Who Dares Wins we've got I, I don't even know what you would compare this to um but yeah it's just there doesn't seem to be much of a point and if you don't really care about the celebrities who were doing it there's no real reason to watch and and obviously this must have been quite a production to put on they must have spent quite a lot of money on this so yeah so if you want to sort of watch it for yourself bbc one 9 p.m tuesday nights and I think the the companion show, which I, I'm assuming might be more of the sort of the Big Brother element, which you mentioned, Dawn. <laughs> 10 p.m. on afterwards. I can't even remember what that one was called. Something about being chilly, I think. But yeah. yeah. Apart from that, though, quite a, a strong collection of shows. I think we've had this week. So thanks very much for both of you for joining me. Do you want to just sort of uh, promote your twitters very quickly? Uh, yeah, I am Dawn Glenn Two. Catch me there. Yeah, and I'm um, it's Sophie Davis on Twitter. Okay, I'm at Matt's TV Bites, and uh, the website is at Luke Custard TV. We will be back next week. We will be reviewing um, Anatomy of a Scandal on Netflix, a new ITV drama, um, The Wife, 
the thief and his canoe i think it's called it's the canoe man drama and a another light entertainment format on itv this time called romeo and duet which is a dating plus <laughs> singing show hosted by oti mabuse i bet you're both uh, disappointed that you won't be uh, joining us next week Thanks again uh, for listening to the Custard TV podcast and we will speak to you soon. Goodbye. Rate and review us wherever you find us. I think that it's programs like this that help people realise that they're not alone. Search the Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes and Facebook. Selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... As easy as pie? Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or VIN. As easy as a stroll in the park. Okay, then just answer a few questions and you'll get a real offer in seconds. As easy as singing. Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop off and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot. As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult. But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... Can be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today.